Thank you for joining us today. This is the 49ers Camelot Show, and I'm excited to have you. And I'm really excited about uh, my guest today, the great Matt Barrows of The Athletic. If you haven't followed Matt Barrows on Twitter, make sure that you're doing that because he is one of your go-to guys for 49ers content. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to The Athletic, do that. Matt, how's it going? It's going very well. Thank you for that uh, nice intro. Um, and I'm sorry I'm not Ronnie Lott or <laughs> <laughs> close to the Hall of Fame. But uh, yeah, uh, it's got to be a pretty big drop off between guest one and guest two here. Well, well, we weren't live with Ronnie. Uh, okay. Matt's, <laughs> what Matt's talking about is that uh, 49ers Web Zone, we're working on a podcast series for why Roger Craig deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I just got off with uh, with Ronnie Lott. And so I told Matt, uh, no pressure, but you're following a Hall of Famer. So uh, that's where that is. <laughs> but hey, like I subscribed to The Athletic a few years ago, and I did it mainly because of you. You're a brilliant writer, and I really love reading your stuff. One of your... My favorite thing that you've ever written, and I think I mentioned this in, in my initial email to you, this was after Jim Harbaugh was mutually parted from the 49ers and then uh, got the job at Michigan. You wrote a piece, uh, this was before you were with The Athletic, called Congratulations on the Purchase of Your New Harbaugh. It was the best thing that I've read I, I think that it should be required reading in schools. I don't know what <laughs> is required these days, but that should be one of it. It was like, where do you, you're so creative and funny. Where, do you work on that or is that just natural? I remember that coming to me in, in like the shower. Like it was something <laughs> that was in the back of your brain and you have to be totally relaxed in order for it to kind of come to the, the forefront, but um, I'm not trying to uh, pat myself on the back, but that's my favorite thing that I've written in sports uh, for sure, uh, because there was a creative element to it. And it seemed to hit the right tone for Harbaugh, a guy who you never quite sure who you were talking to. He could be like the warmest, friendliest guy, uh, you know, uh, affectionate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then the next day, same guy is, is cold and distant. So it was um, it was interesting covering him and that that piece. And it was a short piece, really. It's only like 500 words, you know, at the athletic. If it's not under 2000, it's like it's not uh, it's not a real story. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I uh, I did like that because it was it was different than what I usually write. Yeah. Well, what was it like covering Harbaugh? Especially when you compare that or contrast that to covering Kyle Shanahan or some of the other 49ers coaches. Yeah, I mean, covering Harbaugh was uh, was a roller coaster. I mean, it wasn't just Harbaugh, but it was his teams. They made news all the time. Excuse me. Um, you know, uh, off the field news. I mean, there was a, a spate there. There, they were getting arrested for right. uh, one alcohol-related thing after another: guns, alcohol. Those were the two big themes of, of these arrests. So um, it was—I mean, it—it it, it was fun in that he was a real personality, mm -hmm. and um, you know uh, the 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 blue work shirts, the the slogans, "Who's got it better than <laughs> us?" 
Um, his uh, his assistant coaches, Vic Fangio and Greg Roman, were really interesting. So we you get to interview the defensive quarter, offensive coordinator, and head coach each week. And sometimes, I mean, I remember when Chip Kelly was the the head coach, his offensive coordinator really wasn't an offensive coordinator. <laughs> so he would come in and it'd be like, you know, I really can't answer that. I don't know. You got to ask right. Chip. So they weren't great stories, but uh, the the trio under Harbaugh were all fantastic. So, I mean, a lot to write about. Um, yeah, but you're always worried that, uh, you know, if you woke up at, you know, heaven forbid, 7.15 one morning, how much news did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas uh, Shanahan Lynch um, are more stable, I would say. Mm-hmm. And they're certainly not talking to national reporters. Like, you know, Mike Nolan was – was best buzzed with Jake Glazer. So uh, mm. as a, as a local reporter, you you were always worried who the head coach was talking to that day. Shanahan Lynch certainly know folks, but um, to their credit, they uh, are, are pretty circumspect when it comes to that. And, and for the most part, they're extremely honest too. Yeah. I mean, this is a deception league and uh, nobody has any qualms about lying to a reporter's face so that they can either avoid something controversial or get something out there that uh, benefits them. Shanahan and Lynch don't don't do that. I, I just I just admire that. Um, yeah, certain honest, honesty, a certain dignity right. to uh, to the job that they've uh, that they've used, and and they've been successful being being honest person. See, you can't have success and not be <laughs> Yeah, where Jim Harbaugh wanted to guard every bit of information oh, yeah. that he, he could thought that we were like German spies, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out which way the subs were going out of, uh, out of Norfolk or something. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, that, that was, uh, yeah, there were, there were, there were a few Jim Harbaugh's that we were covering basically. That's funny. So you've been doing this for about 20 years, right? And what would you, if I were to ask, what is your most memorable 49ers press conference? What, what would that be? One day, uh, I just I just said that um, you know uh, one designated day is for the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator, and one day, I think it was two thousand early in two thousand. Uh, it's either twelve or thirteen, and it wasn't a Jim Harbaugh day. It was say a Greg Roman day, mm-hmm. and Roman is up at the at the podium and we're all gathered and we're about to ask questions and Jim Harbaugh comes like striding right down the aisle. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Roman steps aside and Harbaugh gets up there and he sort of looks cross. I mean, looks, he looks bothered. <laughs> and he starts out by saying, AJ Jenkins was a great receiver. And I thought, Oh my gosh, something horrible has happened to AJ <laughs> wow. Jenkins. He's, he's talking about AJ Jenkins. In the in the past tense, I thought it was in a car accident. I thought I thought something awful had occurred, and really it was. Uh, he just went on to say, you know, AJ Jenkins was a great uh, receiver at Illinois, and he was a great receiver <laughs> when he got to us. And he's still a great receiver, and some of the people in this room are going to be really ashamed by what they what they're <laughs> writing about AJ. You know, uh, you're going to have to eat your words. And he described us all as uh, uh, I forget what the phrase was. Uh, scribes, pundits, and so-called experts. And <laughs> yeah. we were actually thinking of printing up T-shirts that we were coming in that said "scribes, pundits, and so-called experts." Uh, he was defending his guy, right. and that's what what Jim Harbaugh did, uh, mm-hmm. because frankly, uh, AJ Jenkins didn't look good in those early camps, and that continued. Yep, and I believe AJ Jenkins 
left the 49ers having caught one pass. Was it one pass or, or zero pass? I don't, yeah, I, I was. <laughs> it was either zero. one or zero. I can't, yeah. I can't remember. Uh, and I can't remember the guy for whom uh, he was traded. It, it was a Chiefs uh, fail yeah, yeah. wide receiver. Who but was that guy? I can't think of his name either. Like he didn't do much better. <laughs> no, he, he, he wasn't much better pass. at all. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that, that, that's the one that I will remember. And then of course the, the Jim Tom Sula introductory press conference was, <laughs> uh, Fellini-esque. <laughs> it was theater of the absurd to the point I was sitting next to Matt Mayoko, uh, in the, in the audience, in the reporter's row. And as the, as it was winding down and as everybody was getting up, I said, okay, uh, I guess I'll see you here next year at this. At this point. And, <laughs> it was and I was obvious. right. He was one and done. Wow. Yeah. So how is Joan in, in payroll? Is, <laughs> is she doing okay? I'm not he sure I've ever put eyes on Joan in payroll. I think she still works there though. Oh, wow. Point, I yeah. I, I, those are two memorable ones. I, when I was thinking about this question and kind of predict, trying to predict which press conference I thought it was either going to be the Jim Tomsula introductory press conference or the I want winners, Mike Singletary. Yes, press that conference. was another one. Yeah. Were you motivated that day or were you terrified? Which, uh, no, uh, I think that was early in the Singletary regime. And the idea was that this guy was going to come in and kind of weed out all the, the, the bad spots on the 49ers. He was going to be the cure to what was ailing them. So at that stage, um, you know, he kicked uh, Vernon Davis out of the game. Um, I, I, I think I thought that that was received very well by the media. Yeah. By certainly by people at home. Um uh, it, it was, you know, years later or a season later where it was like, huh, maybe the uh, the emperor has no clothes here hmm. um, because uh, it, it, it soon became clear that Singletary was out of his depths from mm-hmm. a strategic standpoint, X's and O's. Great leader, great motivator. But uh, if you don't have the the X's and O's chops to back that up, it starts to become... Uh, just a lot of talk. And, and sure. he would have these long post-practice <laughs> huddles where, you know, early on it was like, you know, these guys were inching in closer. They wanted to get a piece of it. They they were just eating up every, every motivational thing that uh, Mike Singletary was saying. But over time, those, those clumps, those huddles got looser <laughs> and looser and looser to the point where you had guys that were like 50 feet away just with, you know, hands on their hips, just waiting for them to be over. Because I think they got repetitive, and like I said, they weren't yeah. seeing anything on the field. So if you, you know, if if Mike Singletary did the right thing and took the necessary steps and got a second bite at the apple, uh, I think he'd have something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, is he the coach uh, that if there's a coach that you? don't want to ask the wrong question to would he be that one or would it be Harbaugh? Or certainly we saw at the end of the season that, that Kyle Shanahan can be in a bad mood as well. But uh, who was that coach that you didn't want to ask the wrong question? Yeah. um, I guess I'd go with Harbaugh and, and, you know, there were certain questions that he just didn't want to answer. I mean, injury questions. I mean, think about what a big part of NFL football day-to-day coverage 
uh, injuries are, he, he wouldn't answer them. Hmm. Um, how's, how's Frank Gore's knee? You know, he get, he had this peeved look, you know, we don't, we don't really answer those questions here. I can't he's get working through something. Yeah. I can't get inside his body or he's working <laughs> yeah. through something. Um, uh, but, he, uh, yeah. And he would, he would, uh, confront you. I, I mean, I guess it would be him, but it became so routine that it wasn't like, uh, a big hush over the room when it happened because it, it basically happened once a week. So, <laughs> I mean, if, uh, and, and when Shanahan gets, I call it snippy, he just gets kind of curt. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, won't give one of his, to his credit, he gets very expansive and revealing answers. That, now that's why he's, he's been great to cover because I think everybody, I certainly have, uh, have, have learned more about this sport since he became the head coach. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, you just got back from the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Kyle Shanahan was not there. This is the second year in a row that he wasn't at the Combine. Is that a big deal uh, that he's not there? Uh, no. I mean, you know, they don't pick until the end of the third round. So uh, if, if they had the, the number three over, overall pick, I would think it was a, would be a big deal. But I think this is going to become more and more of a trend. Uh, these guys reasoning that they and their staffs can do more uh, real work uh, from from the office, which is where they were looking at these prospects on tape. So sort of watching the combine and then kind of reviewing what they look like on the game film. Um, you know, it's, to me, I used to just love going to the combine. That was my thing. I really loved mm -hmm. the draft. And, you know, in the early 2000s when I went, I, I was like a kid in the candy store. I thought thought it was fantastic. Now I I, I don't want to go. Um, you, you're put in a pit. It's literally a pit uh, <laughs> to to interview these guys, and um, it's a bunch of uh, you know team reporters yelling. Uh, Did you visit the Falcons? Did you visit the Buccaneers? <laughs> you, you don't really ever learn anything. Uh, and then the the players have been so coached up on what to say that it all starts to sound really repetitive. So I go to get John Lynch and maybe Adam Peters or, or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. And then I get out of town real quick and, and I'm usually back home to watch the on the field stuff, um, which I, you know, I, I've found is the most uh, kind of valuable just to, not to, for me to evaluate these guys. I'm not um, presuming that I can do that. It's more to get familiar with the names and, okay, this guy's a pass catching tight end. This guy's blocking <laughs> tight end. Yeah. It's more sort of basic uh, level stuff. Well, the 49ers, as you said, don't have a first or second round pick. They have three third round picks. Ease my troubled mind and tell me that they're not going to pick another running back in the third <laughs> round or a kicker now that Robbie Gold might not be back. Yeah, David Lombardi and I just put out our uh, our build a roster um, item where you can build your whole roster um, to get under the cap and you can draft the, the 10 players. And I toyed with the idea of uh, of not having a veteran kicker on it, uh, but I just can't see the 49ers doing that because it would save, you know, save four million dollars or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when, when you're looking to finish that 53 man roster, that's that's valuable uh, money. Uh, so I, I don't think that it happens. I think that they'll kick the tires on these guys. Um, you know, in, in mine, I ended up having them take Eddie Pinheiro, 
who's with the uh, the Panthers this week and will be a free agent next week. David stuck with Robbie Gold. I think uh, you know, you know, it's funny because there there are a lot of teams that are looking for kickers. Um, there aren't a lot of teams, I don't think, that are looking for the Robbie Gold caliber. I mean, he's 40. Uh, he'll be 41 in December. I feel like that's a certain type of team that wants him, a team that really believes that it's going to be, you know, making big kicks in the playoffs. And so when you look at that, there may be four teams, uh, the Rams, the uh, the Packers, the Cowboys, and the 49ers. The Rams might re-sign Matt Gay. The, the Packers might uh, re-sign their own kicker. So it comes down really to the 49ers and the Cowboys. So mm-hmm. – 50-50 proposition at that point. Okay. Um, so I, I still my the bottom line of all that is that I still think that there's a fairly good chance that Robbie Gold comes back. Okay, that's that's an interesting take because everything that you know the and people are basing it off of what he himself has said, but. I have wondered if part of that was negotiating. You know, if he's just playing hardball, but. Uh, Certainly, that's that would be great news. Now, you mentioned that that next week is the start of the free agency period. Uh, so Monday begins the legal tampering period. Last season, the 49ers went away from what they normally do, which uh, normally they don't sign the big day one guys. But last season, they did uh, when they signed uh, Charvarius Ward. Obviously, they're going to be linked to a lot of guys. They call about everybody, so uh, so we expect them to be rumored to sign uh, multiple big-name free agents. I mean, they've already been linked to Jesse Bates. But do you actually think that this season they're going to be players for those kinds of, of guys, or or do you think that they're going to kind of go back to what they normally do? I think it'll probably be the latter. I mean, the the lesson from this build a roster thing that we did, <laughs> there's just not a lot of room. And you have to kind of create yeah. as much room as you can just to sign not even the Jesse Bateses of the world, but, you know, maybe a defensive lineman who costs I don't know, six million a year, which is, you know, fairly low um, when it comes to, you know, quality defensive ends, say. So uh, I have a hard time seeing it happen. Um, I, certainly a Jesse Bates. I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't see that at all. Um, but you know, the, the defensive line is a, is a spot where they've wanted to concentrate in, in years past. It was, it was a down year despite Nick mm-hmm. Bosa's remarkable season overall. Um, they weren't quite as good as they were in 2019. Yeah. Remember, that was the year they had, they right. had Bosa, they had D4, they had Buckner, they had Armstead. So, I don't know if they can ever kind of reach that level, but um, if they're going to try in free agency, I would expect that that be, uh, you know, through a combination of free agency and the draft, that that's, that's their, their main focus. That and, you know, um, Mike McGlinchey is, is gone. Um, and what, what do you do at that spot? I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a tough one because uh, the, you know, do you sign Andre Dillard or somebody like that? Who's going to still cost, you know, these are offensive tackles. He's still going to cost six, $7 million. And then I think people are going to realize very quickly that the drop off from McGlinchey to Dillard is, is big. Yeah. Uh, or do you just go with Colton McKibbitz and you, you try to, to draft as high as possible 
an offensive tackle and, and have that guy compete. So um, that, that to me is going to be really interesting. So defensive line to me is really fascinating. Offensive line, offensive tackle is fascinating. And then what they do with this, this veteran quarterback. And I think uh, Brock Purdy's surgery on Friday is going to sort of uh, inform their decision there. So you, you mentioned how Dillard is a pretty big drop-off from McGlinchey. Is McKivitz or Jalen Moore, are, are they that big of a drop-off as well? Um, we've seen them in such small spurts that uh, I, I can't say. Um, you know, I know at one point that you know, McKivitz was, was off the team. They, they cut him at one point. And then, um, to his credit, he came back and really kind of um, saw the light and knew what he had to do and, and mm-hmm. has been much better since then. But even at that stage, they were like, okay, we think that this guy is a guard moving forward. Hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there have been some people that have gone through their careers like that, um, sure. you know, thought of as an NFL guard, but then they are forced to play tackle and they're really good. I mean, I like McKivitz. I don't know Jalen Moore quite as well, um, I, but I feel like McKivitz – his strength is that he's unfazed. Uh, one of McGlinchey's, I don't want to call it a weakness, but he, he would, he really would get inside of his head when uh, he would have a bad play. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, he's one of these guys who are so responsible that they're so hard on themselves uh, when something bad happens that it can snowball. Um, and uh, I think McKibbis is the polar opposite. I think he uh, is very um, laid back. Um, and I'm not saying he's irresponsible, but um, it, it's just not a guy who's going to go into the tank if he lets up a, a sack or a pressure or something like that. Yeah. So I think that they like his disposition there. Um, and, um, you know, this is sort of a repeat of his uh, college sequence where they were thinking of him as a guard at West Virginia. He had to come in and uh, stand in for an injured senior and rose to the occasion and ended up becoming a a team captain and and the best guy on the team and really kind of helped a new coaching regime through uh, a tough transition. So he's sort of uh, got a uh, a bedrock type of, uh, I don't know, uh, disposition persona about him that I think that they like. The question is, does he have the athleticism, the foot speed, to uh, duplicate what what McGlinchey did. What about Jake Brendel? Do you think they bring him back and uh, along with Daniel Brunskill, or do you think both of both of those guys will end up somewhere else? I mean, it, it depends on the interest uh, that they receive elsewhere. Um, the Texans just signed a center, Quisenberry. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't tell whether that's good news for the 49ers and Jake Brendel or whether Quisenberry is sort of like a Brunskill type of guy, a guy you want on your team just in case there's an injury. Uh, so they could still come in hard after Brent. I mean, if one of these teams comes in hard after any of the 49ers guys, they're gone. Yeah. Um, I just don't think the 49ers can get into bidding wars over anyone. They're like with Jimmy Ward, they're banking on the safety market being soft. And they're, they're probably going to, you know, be right on that because it, it, it often is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once the Jesse Bates of the world are taken, then, then that market has tended to just to flatline. 
and uh, Ward may find that um, he's getting equal money to be a nickelback here and, you know, is on a much better defense. And, and John Lynch is trying to convince him that, you know, you, you actually touch the ball a lot more often as a nickel cornerback, despite playing mm-hmm. 75% of the snaps versus uh, uh, 100% uh, snap safety. So maybe that, uh, that campaign is starting to, to uh, get to, to Jimmy Ward and he's seeing the light there. I think that would be a really uh, big reshining if they can get him. Yeah, yeah, that would be huge. Well, you mentioned defensive line, right tackle, uh, veteran quarterback. Are those the holes, the most glaring holes, or is there another hole that you think that they need to fill? I mean, kicker, obviously. Um, but no, I mean, like linebacker, running back, um, you know, cornerback. Um, I think if they're able to sign Emmanuel Mosley, uh, I think that, that that's, you know, it, you probably want a little bit more reassurance there, but um, Diamandor Lenore did enough. I thought uh, Samuel Womack, you know, showed something as a rookie that you, you can say, okay, in, in year two, this guy's going to be that much better. So I think they're good there. I mean, they, they've, the, the last couple of drafts, they've drafted a lot of cornerbacks. They've drafted a lot of mm-hmm. running backs. They've drafted a lot of uh, guards uh, or guys that could play guard or, or center. Um, they need to d- develop, but uh, I think that you know drafting another guard, you just are adding another youngster to that mix. Um, they also have uh, 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 Jason Poe in the mix mm-hmm. too. That they're another guy that they're 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 quite uh, eager to see um, as far as a year two leap. So I feel like you know all all these positions could be better, but those are the ones that are pretty stable uh, right now. You mentioned the veteran quarterback last season. Uh, Brian Greasy was hired uh, to coach the quarterbacks. He worked obviously with Jimmy Garoppolo and then two young quarterbacks. Do you, how, how do you, how do you gauge? I mean, is there a way to gauge how well he did? It seemed like the quarterbacks performed better than we thought that they would. Each one of well, Trey Lance didn't really have a chance, uh, but Purdy was better than we thought that he would be. Garoppolo had maybe his best season, you know, maybe, maybe not counting those, those five initial games that he played uh, for the 49ers. But do you think that Brian Greasy um, did a good job or or is that still impossible to, to gauge? Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to gauge. I mean, as you noted, you can gauge it from how well the quarterbacks did, especially the young quarterbacks who are working the most with these guys. And, I'd throw Clay Kubiak into that mix. He's the assistant quarterbacks coach. And, um, you know, he's, you know, that, that group is always together um, on the field. So, yeah, I mean, I think they did a great job. I think that they were um, scared that uh, Greasy might not come back. Uh, and I think they were very relieved when he ultimately did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know. If, if it wasn't working out, I mean, and there was a good chance that, I mean, it was a, it was a bit of a, uh, a, the guy never had coached before. Right. Um, and, and coaching is, is, is different. I mean, uh, John Lynch went from broadcasting to GM. That's a different animal than going from broadcasting to coaching. Coaching mm-hmm. is, is a grind. It's blue collar stuff. It's up early in the morning. It's, you know, repeating the same things all the time. Um, it not quite the, 
the, the glory, I think, of working in the front office, working mm-hmm. at the top of the front office. Uh, so, um, you know, the fact that he's coming back, I think, uh, can only be uh, interpreted as a as a big W for the 49ers. Yeah. Do the 49ers still believe in Trey Lance? Yeah, I think they have to believe in Trey Lance. I mean, he's going to be the guy uh, throughout the spring, throughout the summer, probably throughout September. Uh, and, and the hope is that, you know, all that, all those repetitions, all that opportunity is going to get him going, get him on the role that everybody thought that he could reach. I mean, he was always about potential. And I know people look at him being drafted third overall and you expect, okay, third overall, all the resources that they gave up to get him, he's got, he's got to be good, you know, from jump. <laughs> But the 49ers never thought right. that. And, and yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not saying that they don't deserve any criticism for this approach, but they thought that, OK, this guy has got all the foundational pieces that we're looking for. He's smart. Uh, we like his processing. He's big. He's got a big arm. We like his character. This is what we want. And if we can afford to bring him along slowly, we can turn him into a magnificent quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and they did. And we, we, it's, it's still being brought along slowly. And, and that's the frustration from, from everybody. Uh, but, you know, I think that there's an opportunity to hit the accelerator this off season and he's ready for it and he should be healthy. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been bad play that's torpedoed. Right. Uh, Trey Lance's <laughs> career. It's been injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the main concern in the building is that this guy's gotten injured a lot. Um, the finger in the preseason of his rookie year, the knee, uh, after his first start, his rookie year, uh, there may have been another one in practice I've heard about, um, uh, it wasn't major, but, you know, still kind of things that, you know, you want that arc to be a steady rise, his, right. It's been <laughs> jagged at, to this point. So that, that's the big concern. You know, my question and, and the one that is really going to piss Shanahan off as he's asked this uh, throughout the offseason <laughs> is, do you alter your approach with Lance? Do you make him less of a running quarterback to minimize those uh, those injury risks? Um, because, you know, the, the two big ones that he's, ha- he's had, the ankle and the knee, mm-hmm. were both on, on runs. Um, right. And he still thinks that he's playing JMU and he's going <laughs> after a 155 pound safety. And uh, really these guys are, are 250 and um, mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to win those battles. Yeah. You know, at 49ers web zone, I do a, during the season, a weekly mailbag when it's the off season, it's a, it's a every other week thing. I know that you do one at the athletic. And so I'm guessing you probably, um, know full well what this is about, but I get so many questions or statements about how Trey Lance is a bust. And I've argued till I'm blue in the face. Uh, in fact, in our latest mailbag, which was last week, I said that I feel like I'm on the in the movie Groundhog Day. It's like the same thing over and over again. There's no way we can call him a bust at this point. But one of the things that concerns me <clears throat> is that at the Combine, John Lynch seemed to talk like the 49ers 
already in their mind have made Brock Purdy QB1 if he's healthy. And then he said something to the effect, and, and I don't have the quote here, but he said something to the effect of what Trey Lance needs is to stay healthy. He needs reps, uh, and we have to figure out a way to get him that playing time. And considering the situation they're in with Brock Purdy, that just struck me like, man, are are they really in it? Because I've been one of the ones saying, yes, they still believe in him. But am I reading too much into that, or or did you kind of take it in in a similar way that uh, that maybe they're just so in on Brock Purdy that they're not quite uh, as sold on Trey Lance? Well, I mean, Purdy has has shown it. I mean, he went on a, a seven game winning streak. Um, he fought through that oblique injury and. I mean, th- there was just a lot of impressive things about what Purdy did. I mean, and I think if, you know, he hadn't gotten hurt, um, he would certainly be the, the number one quarterback going into this offseason. Um, you know, it, September is going to be interesting because let's say that, you know, uh, Trey Lance gets all of the spring reps and all of the preseason game reps and he's the starter for week one and, and, and he does well. And he does well in week two and the 49ers, you know, unlike the previous two seasons, get off to a good start. And what, what happens when, when, when Purdy's a hundred percent, I don't, I don't see the 49ers changing horses midstream if they're winning with, um, with one quarterback. Right. And I think the, the idea will be, yeah, you know, the Purdy will get his chances. Um, and, and when he does, we expect him to, uh, you know, be the Brock Purdy we saw last year. Uh, so, I mean, that to me is a really ideal situation for the 49ers. Um, and let's just say Lance starts the whole season, which, as we all know, it's probably not going to happen. Um, but if he did, then then the, then that's the real question. What, what do mm-hmm. the 49ers do at that point? Because I think they'll still be convinced that they can win with Purdy. They just won with Lance. And so I think then you get a, uh, a trade scenario. They, yeah. uh, they, they deal one of those guys and um, maybe deal him for, for quite a bit. Matt, what do you have going on at the athletic? I know that uh, you mentioned that you and David had, uh, had done this build your own roster thing. What else do you have going on? Yeah, it was build your own roster all week. Uh, today we did our versions, how we would do it. Um, and then I think we'll do one more follow up maybe next week on sort of, um, a lot of the um, uh, summing up what readers did the most, like the the types of guys that they resigned yeah. or, or brought in all in free right. agency and stuff like that. Uh, but then it, it's all going to become free agency next week, and we'll just follow the news. And that starts on Monday with the uh, the legal tampering period. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that sort of caught my ear is like, wait, how does Robbie Gold know that he's going to get more money from another team? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been would be tampering if right. uh, if, he, if he knew that at this point, but um, that kind of stuff does go on. Um, so that's what that's what next week is going to be about. But down the line, you know, working on a, a Steve Wilkes profile. I talked to uh, Ron Rivera at the combine. Oh, nice. um, very very close friends, uh, associate of mm-hmm. uh, longtime associate of, of Wilkes, and um, I, I think people are going to really like him. He's just a, a solid guy, a good leader. 
people want to play for him. I think that's, you know, the, the joke when Wilkes was hired was that, uh, oh, the 49ers got a guy who, uh, who kind of won't touch anything when he comes into the, into the house. Uh, and I think that's, that's true. You know, the, Kyle Shanahan likes the scheme, likes the players, et cetera, but he also wanted somebody that will inspire them. I mean, that was the, the, the real D'Amico Ryan's magic that uh, those guys wanted to play for him. They were like brothers. Um, they were like family. And I think uh, Wilkes, Wilkes maybe more as a more of a father, father, father figure guy, but I think you have the same, at least that's what I'm getting from uh, the folks in Carolina, is that uh, he, uh, he was somebody that uh, that team, which is, we all know, was, was at the bottom yeah. in week five. I mean, yeah. that, that was a team... Uh, destined not to win another game that year. Uh, fans had abandoned them. They just looked terrible. And uh, he really rallied that team and made them respectable towards the end. And I think I think that says everything. Yeah, that's great. Hopefully, I, I know that things are about to get busy for you with free agency uh, ready to start soon. Hopefully, you'll have some time to get away and refresh. Are you into darkness retreats? I hear good things about those. <laughs> um, you know, the more I hear about them, the the more the, the better they sound. You know, just <laughs> unplug and, and not have to stare at a screen all day. That'd be uh, that'd be good. It's probably good for your brain. Yeah, it sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> but uh, I was a little kid that uh, had a lot of bad dreams, so that's probably why. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, and make sure you follow Matt Barrows on. Uh, uh, at, at Matt Barrows on Twitter and uh, make sure that you go to The Athletic and subscribe if for no other reason to watch uh, or to read the work of Matt Barrows because he's great. Matt, again, thanks. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Mark. I, uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure.